um, message because we're going to talk about friendships. So um, we're going to, again, choose uh, just some selected proverbs uh, from the book and then walk through what it means to be um, a gospel-centered friend to to one another. So um, let's take a look at uh, Proverbs 18.24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. In Proverbs 27, 9, oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. And then finally, Proverbs 17, 17, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that uh, you give us these words to reveal to us a deeper understanding of the gospel of grace. Um, We were created for relationships, our relationship with you and our relationships with other people. And you've given us a special intimate relationship with yourself. And you've done that by um, drawing us into your presence through the work and ministry of Jesus. And you've also given us the gift of friendship with others. And that too uh, is a gift of grace because we know that it takes grace and mercy and hard work and love to be a good friend. And so we pray that you be with us this morning as we look at your word and understand in a deeper way how the gospel of grace impacts our friendships. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine via picture. So um, uh, this guy, his name is Rich Darginio. If you were here last week, you might have gotten a chance to meet him. He and his wife were over there uh, with us. And uh, Rich has been a faithful, honest, and loving friend for over 28 years. Um, We uh, have been on family vacations together. We've been in the trenches of ministry together. We've comforted one another in our sufferings and walked through some really difficult times in life together. And we've also been willing to tell each other hard things. And um, it's, it's... like was super encouraging to have Rich and M, his wife, come and, and be with us uh, last weekend uh, and just be together. He lives in Ohio, so we don't get to see each other that much, but we talk frequently and we're still best friends. That's good, Ed, thanks. Um, and so I say that because I think our friendship um, is one that helps us understand what it means to be a faithful, honest, and loving friend. But we're going to look a little bit deeper uh, into the scriptures to see how some people in the Bible, and then again, specifically Jesus, uh, is a friend to us. But let's first define what a biblical friend is. And we do that by, right, when we look at the scriptures and we see the word friend in the scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we want to go back to the original languages and try to understand what is that word trying to convey. So, Here's, here's how I, uh, my research came up with. It says, um, the word for friend is someone dearly loved and prized in a personal, intimate way. They're a trusted confidant. 
and they are held dear in a close bond of personal affection. This type of friendship conveys experiential personal affection, indicating an experience-based love. So there's a lot to it, right? And it's obviously, from that definition, it's something that's very close. And the truth is that we don't have many friends that would stand up to to this definition. You probably have a handful of friends that could stand up to this definition. But that's okay. Those are the ones that God's put in your life. And he's put you in the lives of the, of, into their lives as well. And that's the other thing I want you to see and think about as we walk through uh, our message today. So we're going to look at three things, of, uh, you know, oddly enough. Uh, friends are faithful, honest, and loving, okay? So um, these are the characteristics that we want to look for uh, in friends, but also how we want to be a friend to other people. So gospel friendships are faithful. So again, Proverbs 18.24 says... A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You might say, wait, closer than a brother? Now remember, the Proverbs are pithy sayings and general principles of wisdom. And the proverb is opening our eyes to understand two things about friendships. One is that your relationship with your brother or, let's say, your sister, is connected by blood. That's pretty tight. And there's a bond that is extremely close and intimate just by the mere fact that you're related in that way. But secondly, while you and your brother or sister may have an unbelievable friendship, and the definition above may characterize that relationship, you can always have friendships that are just as close and maybe even more intimate in some ways. So gospel friendships rely on the faithfulness of one another, even in the harshest of situations. Who can forget Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? These were three friends who, along with Daniel, remember in the book of Daniel, had been hauled off from Israel to Babylon as slaves, as teenagers, Taken off. Can you imagine your teenager being hauled off out of your arms away to a foreign country to be a slave? Sounds terrorizing. And once in Babylon, they faced incredible hardships. One of the most famous being that because they chose not to bow down and worship King Nebuchadnezzar, the king said that he would throw them into a fiery furnace. Again, this sounds awful. We think about these Bible stories. Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about this Sunday school kids. This is, this is tough. This, that's a scary situation, right? Let's read it. Let's read it together real quick. Um, just part of the story. Daniel three thirteen to 25. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. They brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every other kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace." And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, and they said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered that the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because of the king's order was so urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He's looking down into the fiery furnace and he declares to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. He answered and said, But I, oh yeah, is there 26? Nope. So, it's a terrifying story, actually. And, you know, at, at any moment, they could have given up, right? They could have said, well, yeah, that's, that looks really hot over there. I'm not, and there's no way I'm going to, you know, sh- sure, I'll bow down. I'll do what you want. But they didn't do that. These three friends were going to stick it out together. Each one had the chance to bow down and to bow out of their conviction to only worship the Lord. But instead, they were faithful to each other and going through it together. And we see that really all over the book of Daniel, if you read through it. And if you think about their situation, they knew they needed one another. Think about what they were having to go through. And while in the fiery furnace, another faithful friend shows up. This fourth person that's in the fiery furnace. Now, some believe that it was an angel, and it might have been, uh, but it most certainly could have been Jesus. Some scholars believe that could have been it. We're not sure, but either way, here's the point. The Lord was physically present and showed up with his faithfulness to these young men as their friend in the fiery furnace with them. It's amazing. Go back and read that story. It's, it's awesome to see the faithfulness of these friends to one another. And then God, the Lord's faithfulness as their friend. So it's, you know, it's easy to be faithful, a faithful friend, when something is going really well as well, right? Sometimes when things are going well, it's easy to be a faithful friend. But a faithful friend stands when you need them the most. And this is usually when something tragic has happened or when you have really screwed up, right? Those are the tough ones. Maybe you've done something or said something to hurt your friend, and um, 
it, it, you know, puts a chink in the armor of your friendship. You also really find out who your friends are when you fail. Who are your faithful friends when you fail? If you've had a public or maybe a private blunder, which of your friends is going to stand by you? Which ones will abandon you and separate themselves from you? So some questions that we can ask for ourselves are, are you willing to stand by your friends when they fail? What links are you willing to go to when your friend needs you in that time? It takes sacrifice to be faithful, and it takes grace to be faithful as well. Remember the night in which Jesus was arrested, right, and dragged off to Pilate? And the apostle Peter that night had vehemently told Jesus that he would never betray him. They were best friends. Yet only a few hours later, when he was spotted by a servant girl and accused of being one of Jesus' friends, Peter denies ever even knowing him. Peter proves to be an unfaithful friend. And how does Jesus react, though? Okay, so this is both sides of the story. How does Jesus react? Well, a few days after the resurrection, Jesus appears to the disciples on the shore of Galilee. He's made, made breakfast for them. And he pulls Jesus aside, and, and I'm sure this was an intense moment between Peter and Jesus. When Jesus says, hey, Peter, you know, we, we need to talk. And he pulls him aside. But instead of rebuking Peter, Jesus pulls him aside and renews their friendship. How awesome is that? Reinstating Peter as a leader in the church. Jesus models this faithful friendship. And Jesus remains a faithful friend even when we are unfaithful to him. And this is what gospel friendship looks like. But secondly, gospel friendships are honest. So again, let's look at Proverbs 27, verses 6 and 9. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. So these two Proverbs are helping us understand that honesty comes in the form of speaking truth into someone's life. The first proverb sounds a bit antithetical, though, doesn't it? Faithful are the wounds of a friend? How in the world can a wound be counted as faithful? What, what the proverb is, is saying is this. An enemy will make you think you are doing the right thing by flattering you or kissing you, as the proverb says. But a true friend is one who is willing to tell you the truth even when it hurts or wounds you as it says. And what you have to determine is whether or not the person is speaking to you as a friend or as an enemy, right? But if you've had a friendship with this person for a long period of time, more than likely, you can trust them, right? You're confident that they are not your enemy and that the truth that they are telling you is a way of them trying to help you. So when does the truth wound? I I think sometimes when a faithful friend tells us something that we are blinded by, when we're blinded by something, 
Usually it's something that we're doing that is not good for us, or it could be that we should be doing something that would be good for us. Or it could be a character issue that we don't realize is affecting the people around us. Like how you treat people when they don't do things the way you think they should be done. Or an addiction that you may not even be aware of that you have. Something that you're struggling with. Or you might be acting stubborn and prideful and not even notice. And on and on it goes. Like there's certain things that we might be blinded by that that an honest friend is going to come in and point those things out in your life. Not to hurt you uh, in order to um, make you feel the pain, but in order to help you. This happened to me when I was about seven years into my first stint as an area director with Young Life back in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And I began to realize that my ministry had sort of hit a plateau, okay? So I'd come into an area that was very disorganized and no money and uh, hardly any leaders. And I was able to cobble things together and get them, get things moving in the right direction and everything. But at some point, things began to plateau. But I had some really faithful friends that I called together to give me counsel. I'm like, hey, I need some help. You know, we've gotten this area at a certain point, but now things have sort of plateaued. And, and I, I think there's, there's something wrong, and it might be something wrong with me, and I need your help. So um, they had some easy things for me to hear, but they also had uh, some areas where I needed to step up my game. One of the things that they pointed out was that I didn't deal with conflict very well. Okay? I had a hard time telling other people hard things. I was too nice and needed to develop an edge, they said. And it was hard for me to hear that I was too nice. And honestly, I'll admit I was a little confused because I thought that's how you were supposed to be. Just nice all the time to everybody. Keep the peace. That's my, that's kind of who I am, right? I'm a nine on the Enneagram. I'm a peacemaker. But apparently I tend towards the avoid conflict at all cost end of the spectrum And that is not always a good way to lead other people. And I was in charge of leading an area of leaders and uh, adults and kids. And they helped me see that. And what's really interesting is that a couple of months ago, someone around here, I won't name any names, um, told me this, quote, Brian, you're not mean enough. (laughs) I was like, okay, okay. I guess I'm still learning this lesson. So, friends are honest. And so this is the other side of the proverb. Giving counsel, right? Giving advice and holding people accountable usually means telling things, telling people things that they don't want to hear always. A faithful friend speaks with honesty, frankness, and candor. And it's not that, again, it's not that we want to wound people, but it's that we, if we don't say anything, something more dangerous may happen to that person, right? It may hurt them in the long run. And so that's why it says the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. We should desire to give earnest counsel, biblical counsel, and helpful counsel. And the reason and motive behind that is because we love our friends. And this leads to our third characteristic of gospel friendship. Gospel friends 
are loving. So again, the word for friend is the same root word for love, phileo. And remember how that was defined. Someone dearly loved or prized in a personal, intimate way, a trusted confidant, held dear in a close bond of personal affection. This conveys the experiential personal affection that we have for one another. So to love a friend means to prize them. That's what, to, to love a friend means to prize them, to trust them, to have a personal affection for them. Not in a romantic way, obviously, but, but to have a close bond with them, right? And this type of love means entering into your friend's world. An experience-based love, right? It's not just a love that we do from a distance, And we see that this is what God did when he sent Jesus into our world, okay? So Jesus was God in the flesh, and he entered into our world to reveal to us the love of God, both in words and actions. So here's how it works in our relationships with other people. Just follow me with this. We look at Jesus as God's love in the flesh, okay? And Jesus spoke and acted in such a way that everything he did exhibited God's love to us. Everything he said was for us to understand how deep that love is. Okay, read through the Gospels. Understand how deep God's love is for you in the person of Jesus. Secondly, we allow this love to transform our hearts, right? We soak it in. We allow it to transform us, making us new people. Now we're clothed with the righteousness of Christ, What we say and how we treat others is how Jesus treated and spoke to us. We live out the gospel, this gospel love that is within us, and we live it out through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Theologians call this doctrine of the incarnation, Jesus being God in the flesh coming to us. Jesus was God in the flesh, and when we live out Jesus living in us, We call this incarnational ministry, that we too want to exhibit this to other people, to those around us, to our friends. And so God loves us with the greatest love that could ever be shown, we all know that, and then we love others with that same kind of love. Albeit, we'll never be as perfectly loving and kind and faithful and honest as Jesus was. But the goal is that his love in us and the power of that will transform us and then be Uh, put out to other people, that we'll give it to other people. God loves us, and we love others with that love. So again, when you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus loving the disciples with this kind of gospel love. He spoke truth into their lives, right? Remember Matthew uh, 5 to 7, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. He rebuked them when they needed it and said hard things, like when they were quarreling over who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He allowed his disciples to enter into his personal life. I mean, you can only imagine how personal things get when you live with someone for three years. He walked with them through suffering. When he wept at the tomb of Lazarus, and he, and he wept with Mary and Martha, he healed them. And of course, Jesus sacrificed his life by literally dying for them. So you need to ask yourself some questions. Are you entering into your friend's suffering with them? 
Are you entering into their joys and rejoicing with them? Are you praying for them and with them? Are you forgiving them and showing them grace? Are you thinking the best of them? So when something happens, you don't think, well, that they intended to hurt you, but maybe something else happened or maybe there was a a miscommunication. And so you think the best of the situation. Are you looking out for their interests above your own? That's what friends do. It takes humility and self-sacrifice to be a friend and to exhibit this kind of gospel love. But again, we can always go back to Jesus. He was the epitome of humility and self-sacrifice in loving us. In the Gospel of John... There are several chapters, literally five chapters, about one conversation, the last conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. That's how important this is. So we're going to read all... No, I'm just kidding. Um, So this is where Jesus basically sums up his ministry to the disciples and what it means for them to continue on in that ministry, okay? So I do want to read one passage in particular. That's John 15, verses 1 to 17. I know it's kind of long, but, but it's, it's like the, the whole, this whole section sort of sums things, things up for us. So let's read this. This is John 15, verses 1 to 17. And Jesus is saying, Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the work that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Do you see that? Can you go back there for a sec? I'm sorry. Verse 9, yeah. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So this goes even deeper than what we talked about before. It's not just Jesus loving us and us loving others. Jesus, God the Father loves Jesus and Jesus accepts and is transformed by that and then he loves us and then we love others. Okay, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, okay? This is it, right here. This is what Jesus, he's summarizing things. He says, this is my commandment to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Amazing. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. 
You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. That's gospel love right there. That's, that's, that's true friendship love right there. Jesus calls his disciples friends. He calls you and I friends. Isn't that awesome? I just think that's amazing. And Jesus exhibits the gospel love by being faithful to us. He's honest with us. And he's exhibited this self-sacrificing love for us. And he wants us to go and do likewise. Why? Because that's what friends do. I just want to finish with an encouragement for you to think about. Because I, I just think that um, this is something we need to, to make sure we're connecting here. Think about your friendship with someone else. Think about if both of you are exhibiting this kind of gospel friendship with one another. Okay? So I understand, like, um, maybe your friend is not, maybe a friend you have, maybe not be exhibiting the gospel friendship to you like you are to them. But I want you to picture your mind and think about this. What if both of you were exhibiting this kind of gospel friendship with each other? That would be awesome. Think about how beautiful that relationship would be. When they screw up, you forgive them. When you screw up, they forgive you. When you make a mistake, they help pick up the pieces. When they make a mistake, you help pick up the pieces. When they're suffering, you sit in their suffering with them. When they're rejoicing, you sit in their rejoicing with them as well. Like how amazing is that? That's, what, that's the picture of relationships that God wants us to have. And so you may be on one of those sides. You, 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 saying this, you may understand what gospel friendship is and you may be exhibiting that. But you might be on the other side and be a little convicted this morning and think, maybe I'm not being the gospel friend that my friends need. And so what do you do? You just look to Jesus He's going to give you grace. Look to his love because that love's going to come in. It's going to transform your heart. It's going to change you from the inside out. Think about how beautiful that is in friendships. Boy, think about how how beautiful that would be in your marriage. Man, that would transform some families, wouldn't it? If you both exhibited this gospel love to each other, mm-hmm. It's not easy. Epic fail yesterday. Me, right here. Epic fail. I'm not going to go into details. It was ugly. But someone in my life, near and dear to me, exhibited gospel love to me. Took a couple hours. But it came. And that's why I, I'm just like, this is so beautiful. It's so meaningful. And wants me to love her and other people the same way. This is what God does to us. This is why he came. It's why Jesus came. To show us the self-sacrificing love. So that we would be changed into people that would show it to a world that needs 
this gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, we are um, encouraged and convicted this morning to, to see the depths of your love, to see how faithful you've been, to see how honest you are to us, and to see your love that goes deeper than we will ever imagine or know. And I pray that as we dwell and meditate and think deeply about what you have done and continue to do in our lives, that it will so transform our hearts and our minds that it will naturally come out of our mouths and out of our hands to love other people with this same gospel love and friendship. Only you have the power to do that in us. Lord, may we follow your lead. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.